flaws in the cost of living payment, dancing around Taiwan, and Talofa Samoa. One news inside Parliament. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. So let's start off with our pits and our peaks this week. Benedict, do you want to kick us off? I sure do. My uh, peak for the week. Um, Last night, Christopher Luxon had his puppet unveiled at the backbencher um, pub just across the road from um, Parliament. And yesterday, our uh, colleague Abby Wakefield managed to get a little um, exclusive interview with Christopher Luxon, in which he sang this little ditty about the song that was uh, going up. Dear God, make it stop. Which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> nice work, Abby, there. Yeah, anyway, I, I quite enjoyed watching that. Yes, no, that's I, my pick for the week. I actually loved it because I, I, as a huge karaoke fan myself, I love a person who can simply put themselves out there, grab the mic and let it rip. So, you know, good on Christopher Luxon. I mean, I will say when I saw his puppet, which is a resemblance of Humpty Dumpty, I did feel like it was a, it was a little bit mean. I don't know. What did you guys think about it? I think it's such a shame that it didn't um, wasn't a few weeks in the future, and then they could have done like a him in a hula, like a grass skirt, and in Hawaii, and or like dressed as up as one of the kiwi fruit dancing kiwi fruit, like that. I think would have been quite funny. Yeah, or just like wings, because you know the whole Air New Zealand flying thing. Yeah, but I mean Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. You know when Jacinda Ardern's a DJ. And, you know, Hone Harawid and Matidia and a waka. No one else really gets burned yeah. like that one. Yeah. Although Ardern's teeth are humongous on her puppet. But, um, yeah, that egghead shape, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Mm. Did, um, did you have a peak this week? Uh, the peak is that um, Shortland Street is being used to help encourage the recruitment of nurses in New Zealand. da 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 So the government bringing in the big guns in order to solve a big, big problem. Um, And so Shortland Street's going to help sort of uh, weave in to their storyline why it's so great to be a nurse. And that's obviously because we've got a shortage of around 3,000 nursing vacancies across the country at the moment. We're in dire straits when it comes to our medical staff shortages. So the government this week put out a $14.5 million package in order to kind of help with that and a big focus of that is recruiting nurses and doctors from overseas here. A big part of the problem is of course recognising their qualifications that they earned overseas here in New Zealand. So we're offering up $10,000 for overseas nurses in order to sit sort of their assessments here and get their registration fees sorted. We're also offering up basically six months to doctors um, to come here from overseas which will pay not only for their salary but also their training to get their qualifications recognised. So some big moves there um, and also a bit of cash there as well to help boost the number of um, GP training spots here in New Zealand from 200 to 300 and nurses doubling from 50 to 100. So some moves there to try and ease that shortage. My peak this week was the uh, interesting situation that the Green Party find themselves in with Tiano uh, Tuiono, uh pulling out over the weekend. 
It leaves the Greens with no MPs standing against James Shaw. The only option now is for one of their own ca- their own members to stand against him. So I just feel like the strategic political thinking was not quite there. So that um, did give me a little bit of joy this week. I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, those bunch of scaredy cat MPs couldn't even muster up the courage to put a real fight on the table for us. Who else is disappointed? Yeah, we love a good scrap. Yeah, I love a good scrap. But um, no, no, also not hugely surprising, I guess, um, seeing as everyone else kind of dropped out pretty darn quick last week as well. Uh, It will be interesting to see if a Green Party member decides to throw their hat in the ring and contest that co-leadership. And then the other big thing, of course, for James Shaw is that it doesn't even matter if no one stands against him. He still has to go through that kind of um, Ron process where the members basically have to back him, 75% of them. And given that he only got 70% at the last kind of vote, which sparked this whole controversy, he really needs to just work on convincing um, those who have lost faith in him that he's the guy for the job. So meeting with the branches will be a big thing for James Shaw in the next couple of weeks. Mm. My pitch this week, or really more of an interesting thing, is um, the long-serving National MP Jerry Brownlee uh, deciding not to stand in Islam, which has been his seat until the last election, um, and deciding just to go on the list. And I feel like that has so many ramifications. It means that uh, they'll, National will have to select someone new for that Islam seat, which traditionally has been quite a blue seat. Uh, and that could be a real scrap. You might see some of the smaller parties decide that that's the one that they want to focus on and try and go for that. So I just think it's really interesting. He's such an institution as well, and so you'd hope that he'd get high up on the list if if he wants to stick around, but it does go to show that, um, you know, there's some big moving and shaking happening ahead of the next election. There sure is. And, uh, yeah, I I think, you know, last week we saw a couple of their MPs um, indicate that they'll be going. And I really wonder whether, you know, how much of a refresh the National Party is going to be wanting to have as they head towards next year's election. You know, quite a few MPs who have been there now for a very, very long time, whether Christopher Luxon kind of wants to bring in, you know, new fresh faces, you know, a new set of skills and really kind of build a new team um, around him. Well, of course, you're going to keep some of those, you know, high, higher ranking National Party um, MPs who are there now around him. You know, just how much rejuvenation they're going to have, I think, is going to be a um, you know, really interesting thing to watch over the coming months yeah, as well. Definitely be interesting to see, you know, what they sort of what the thinking is at the National Party's AGM this weekend down in Christchurch and yeah whether the likes of you know Michael Woodhouse and um, Todd McClay and Judith Collins will stick around at the next election or not we shall see we shall see my pit is it a pit it's an interesting fact I guess um, is another story that I worked on this week which was um, that uh, the little known fact um, actually that if you own multiple properties in different kind of districts council 
council regions and that sort of thing, you can register to vote in the local elections of that area. Um, so if I owned, you know, if I lived in Wellington and, and I vote in the Wellington District Council uh, elections and I own a sort of holiday home up in Auckland or in Thames Coromandel, then I could register to vote in those local elections as well. And it really just kind of, you know, it's an issue that bubbles up every three years alongside the local elections, but it, it raises the questions of whether or not it's fair. Now, a lot of politicians argue um, that it's not fair uh, in terms of um, the Labour Party. Uh, Michael Wood, who used to be a councillor, he said that he's always kind of questioned that because it basically privileges the wealthy. Um, others, though, including the National Party, say, look, if you own property, if you own assets, then you should have a say in the infrastructure and things that, you know, sort of are happening around those assets. So it's a good sort of debating issue. It did bring Bring up the the kind of one person one vote stance that the National Party is very strong on, and they push on, especially when it comes to Maori electorate electorate options and things like that. Um, but they say it's different here because you still only have one vote well, in the one district. Well, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, right? Coming from a party that's terrified of um, Maori gaming the system and jumping off um, and back onto Maori electoral roles. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised to sort of see them take that line. Yeah, I should ask them what they think about, um, you know, Māori landowners, because, you know, we have we have sort of shares in multiple land blocks as Māori across the country. You know, does that entitle us to vote? And if we own that, if we have shares in those in that land, in that district, does that entitle us to vote then in those local council elections as well? May not be any houses on them, but the land ownership is certainly there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really interesting talking point and I think an interesting thing to climb into. Uh, one of the things that we covered this week as well that's been an ongoing story has been this cost of living payment. So the government um, is handing out three lots of monthly payments, $116 per month for three months, and uh, it's trying to help take the sharp edge off inflation. And what's been interesting this week is that they've been so quick to get all of that money out to 2 million Kiwis that they've actually paid quite a few Kiwis that didn't need it. Now, the latest numbers from yesterday showed that it's nearly 3,000 people who have opted out of it. So we already know by default that 3,000 are saying, oh, look, we don't think we qualify or we don't want it for whatever reason. But we don't have any accurate gauge about how many others are getting it if they're living overseas, if they're earning more than 70,000, if they've got you know, bank accounts here. So it's a really interesting issue. And I think just sends the message that the government isn't being very careful. We get it. When you're handing out that much money, you definitely need to um, have a big, you know, you need to take a big picture and think, okay, it's just a few people who are getting it. But when it starts to get up to um, a few, you know, starts to get higher in numbers, you do start to think, oh, have they really been careful enough? What did you guys think? I think that, I mean, it was obviously a kind of rushed policy um, and that the government needed a sweetener for its budget and it needed to address this growing political problem, which was the cost of living. So it was done in haste and therefore there were always bound to be teething problems. But I do think like at the end of the day, people are struggling so much that, you know, if you do have a couple of thousand who aren't necessarily or shouldn't perhaps be entitled to it, um, kind of getting it, it's kind of just like, you know, them's the breaks of the kind of, you know, the the means meeting the ends, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, 
And, you know, if people feel so strongly about it, yeah, do what 3,000 other people are doing and hand that money back. Yeah, I, I kind of just sit there thinking, uh, yeah, okay, there might be a few thousand people who have been given it in an era who probably shouldn't have been given it. Um, but then you've got vast, vast numbers of people um, without jobs who were deliberately excluded from the policy, right? Or anyone on a, um unemployment benefit. And that's the Green Party position, isn't it, that the government actually should have gone further further than it did. Um, You're not helping the people who need the most help. The, yeah. other, the other interesting yeah. thing around the sort of, um, you know, the sort of inflation issue this week I found interesting was the fact that the National Party is seemingly kind of pulled back on its promises around tax cuts, um, saying that, look, they... Uh, acknowledge that you know inflation changes things, and um, Nicola Willis has simply said, "Well, look, we promised those tax cuts as part of our alternative 2022 budget, um, but we're going to relook at that and bring in a new policy next year." And like on the one hand, I get it, you know, circumstances change and you have to you know relook at things. But then on the other hand, I'm not sort of too keen on this whole, um, oh, we're just going to change our policy on this issue, um, you know, just sort of at a whim, it seems. I feel like if you put out a policy, you've got to sort of drive that home and you have to stand by it no matter what um, because, you know, situations are always volatile, but, you know, you kind of the policy should stand the test of time, I guess. I don't know. And I, out. Yeah, and I think with that thing, there's, it, it is controversial because, you know, National is auditioning. Oh, Benedict's trying to play that song again. <laughs> Benedict just loves it so much. He's trying to play Lux and singing again. Oh, um, feels. Yeah, now I've forgotten my train of thought, Benedict. I was so distracted. I was quickly trying um, to Google something to make sure I was correct. Uh, anyway. So with National, I think, what were we talking about? We were talking about the... Um, the fact that they're rolling back their top tech, oh, yeah, um, tax cut policy. Yeah, so I, I do think that they have talked about it this week. Or, you know what I mean? Like, they've talked about it. They're auditioning to be the government. And, yeah, I get it that they might get some new updated information in the budget, but... It's quite a big, significant policy, and what's interesting is um, ACT is, is saying that, look, it's making national guys say, oh, well, if, the, if national's not going to do that, we're going to come to ACT. So it could have some quite interesting ramifications. So I think you're right. I think it's a really interesting story. And speaking of ACT and dumping um, policies on a whim, it did make me um, think of them just before the last election where they dumped several of their policies after um, Brooke, Van, Brooke Van Velden um, denied that they had policies such as bringing back um, interest on student loans um, in, a, in a debate and they promptly dumped policies like that just a, a week or two out from the election, I believe. And, and yeah, and you're allowed to as an opposition, you're not held to the same standard. But when it's a big policy like that, um, you know, it is a U-turn, especially when they went so hard at the budget. Um, the other thing just that kind of ties into that is on Sunday I did a story um, on the number of people still living in cars and so many people... Um, you know, so it was such a big deal on the 2017 election. We did heaps of stories going out and talking to people living in cars. And uh, Jacinda Ardern, who was the opposition leader at the time, was really strong on it. Now it turns out that there's about there's still 500 people living in cars. There were just over 100 when she was making that call. Granted, the numbers collection wasn't as good, but that number has really ballooned and I think the fact that it's still a big issue despite all of that money being spent on emergency houses um, I, I think it is quite a big issue and it, and it points to that whole cost of living thing so um, I think it's really interesting the other topic as well that there's a couple of other things that we should touch on too should we talk about your Samoa 
trip um, Benedict headed over. Just tell us a little bit about that and even the logistics of it because it was a little bit of a, a nightmare um, and I'm not just talking about your shirt. Um, it was <laughs> the trip. No, I didn't even mean it. Find the breakfast presenters loved that shirt. <laughs> Jessica much um, But it was a bit of a like it was really full on um, doing that trip because you were there for such a short amount of time. Yeah, it sure was. It was, it was a real uh, whirlwind of a trip. Well, I think we were over there for 23 hours on the ground in Samoa, and it, yeah, it was to mark um, the 60th anniversary of our um, treaty of friendship, which of course marked. Um, we signed that a couple of months after um, Samoa gained its independence and a yeah, pr- pretty bleak um, a few decades. So we ran the Germans out of there, um, out of Samoa during um, World War I um, and then basically kind of administered Samoa, ruled it um, for the next yeah, a few decades. And yeah, pretty ugly. Um, we, took, we brought influenza there, wiped out a fifth of their population. We carried out um, a massacre. We opposed their independence movement, exiled their leaders, locked them up, imprisoned them. Um, pretty ugly stuff. But yeah, basically, after we signed that um, uh, friendship treaty, um, much improved. So we went over there um, this year. Uh, to mark the 60th anniversary of that. And one of the pretty cool things about this trip was normally you just go with the Prime Minister and, you know, government delegation, but here we had, um, you know, it was a united front, real rainbow of um, political parties, all of the parties from Parliament represented. We had... um, it was a little unfortunate that Tiano uh, withdrew from the leadership. We thought that might have been a political yarn over there, but he withdrew before getting on the plane. Um, yes, we had Christopher Luxon from National, um, Shane Retty, um, uh, Erica Stanford was there. We had um, Tiano from uh, the Greens, uh, David Seymour was there. Christopher Luxon. Yep, Christopher Luxon. Um, yeah, and uh, Maori was there as well. Um, yeah, so really interesting um, delegation that went over. Timeline-wise, yeah, it was pretty pretty hectic. Um, uh, managed to sort of, we got over there and they just had a carver ceremony just before the 6pm news, so we sort of did a live into there. Um, and then they had a really awesome reception. And it was at their reception, actually, where I was talking to a, um, a local um, newspaper journalist, and I was saying, oh, because this trip also marked the opening of their um, border after two and a half years. I think we were the first international plane to come in shortly before a Fijian Airways flight landed, and the next day uh, the first Air New Zealand flight came over as well. But I was talking to a Samoan journalist there and saying, hey, you know, how pumped are you guys? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. We're looking forward to seeing, you know, a lot of our families have been, family members have been stuck in New Zealand, stuck in Australia for the last couple of years during the pandemic. Can't wait to see them again. Um, But she said the problem is so many of our workers are already over in in New Zealand and Australia and she said look it's not people who couldn't find work here it's like our public servants our professionals are all leaving Samoa um, to to find basically better paid work even though what we consider you know the um, recognised seasonal employment scheme over here to be pretty low value work that Kiwis don't want to do they can just make so much more money but it's causing a big problem over there so yeah that was sort of our um that the issue we looked into for the next night on the um, trek, and um, we asked the Samoan Prime Minister about it. Yeah, and she um, was saying, "Look, yeah, it's a problem." Jacinda Ardern, though, says, uh, "You know, they they want to make this work for both countries, um, but she says it's really up. It's basically up to the um, Samoan government to figure out, you know, who they're going to restrict or, or or how they 
how this can run better. Um, they're, they're happy to help, but they think, yeah, they need to sort of figure out the solution at the Samoan government end about who, who can come and for how long, um, those sort of issues. Uh, yeah, it turned out to be rather hectic in t- terms of getting the story done in time. Um, uh, the, the Prime Minister's had a bilateral meeting, which ran um, about half an hour late. They also... Um, yeah, and then turned up late for their stand-up as well as Mr. Um, Carmel Cipollone was wiping the crumbs off your face, um, which ate all into our filing time. So we ended up having about half an hour um, uh, yeah, to, to get the story in, but we, we, we got there. So it was all And good. I think that's what people, um, you know, watching from home, you wouldn't have known that, but because the plane took off in the afternoon and you're flying through 6 o'clock, we have to file everything before you jump on the plane. So it's quite a firm deadline to get on, and um, I think sometimes the the um, I won't call it chaos, but the working at a swift speed isn't always reflected on those tracks. So I think it's good to show people. Um, the other topic, just touch on very very quickly. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I've got I've got a fun fact to add into the into is it about that crumbs. Some more? No. Oh. <laughs> They've been eating lunch and ran late for their stand-up. Right, I'm glad you clarified that. I just got a couple of fun facts on the Samoa thing. First fun fact is that um, Benedict, who was wearing a blue Hawaiian kind of tropical-themed shirt with creamed flowers on it that made such a major debut on breakfast, and they did love it. Um, I asked him, I was like, geez, you must have, where did you buy that? You must have bought it as soon as you landed. And he was like, no, no, that's mine from home. So that's a fun fact there. Um, the My other dad thing, also likes Hawaiian shirts, Benedict, so, you know, you're in, you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other fun fact is that I went to um, Samoa with John Key when National was in government 10 years ago to mark the 50th Friendship Treaty anniversary. Oh, I went to that too. Were you we on that? Yeah, who were you with? I think I was working for Māori Television. Oh, so I must have been It was TV my head. first ah. year in the gallery, actually. Yeah. Um, ten, ten years ago, Jess, that's showing our age. Yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> ancient. Ancient. Yeah. Um, and also the other fun thing that I really enjoyed was seeing Jacinda Ardern have a sip from the carver bowl because if many of you keen politicos out there are as astute um, as we are, and well, it's our bloody job, but, you know, she never, ever eats or drinks anything on camera. So, you know, it was quite quite the treat to see her put something to her mouth and to her lips and um, take a sip of the carver bowl. I think it might have been um, slightly insensitive if she had not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, no hot dog, though, is it? No, no hot dog or ice cream, that's for sure. <laughs> um, the I just want to briefly talk about Taiwan. I think it was a really interesting um, topic and the kind of thing that has so many different layers um, in international relations uh, with the speaker, the US speaker, Nancy Pelosi, going to Taiwan, which of course most of the world, including well, a large chunk of the world, including New Zealand, uh, don't recognise because of um, our one China policy. Um, and it raises all sorts of um, questions with China retaliating. The reason that it's such a weird and complex situation for us is we're mates with China, we're mates with the US, we trade with Taiwan, we recognise them economically, we just don't recognise them as being independent from China. And it's just, it's such a fascinating diplomatic issue. And I just, um, I thought it was really interesting. And I think a lot of people may be breathing a sigh of relief when Nancy Pelosi gets back on her Air Force plane and heads back to the US. She's such a baller, eh? I think she's such a boss, like, baller 
she's very strong-willed. Um, I mean, she was very outspoken on the abortion, um, uh, Roe versus Wade stuff in, in the US. But, but also it's just interesting because the most interesting thing for me is the fact that the Biden administration is trying to distance themselves from her actually going, saying, oh, look, you know, we kind of, we kind of advised against it. But, you know, Good she's, cop, she's not part of the executive and I'm like, to try to separate the two out, I'm like, get real. How convenient well, is it for the US to be able to say, oh, nothing to do with us. She's on her own. She just does her own thing. You know, we try to tell her not to go. And, and you know, it's, it's just It's not so the only convenient. government that regularly tries to distance itself from uh, the behaviour of a speaker, though, eh, Mikey? Well, that's what I mean. You know, those kind of rogue, strong-willed, strong-minded, strong-headed speakers. That's why I say Nancy Pelosi quite a quite a little force there perhaps yeah. quite the force so it's been a really it's actually been a fun little week I think yesterday last week was fun and I think this week's been fun too it's some getting back to some good political yarns and that has been fun I think we haven't I felt like we haven't really been able to stretch our legs that much with you know good political fodder so um we'll wrap it up there though um and We'll finish off. This was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on the Gram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. See ya.